0: Hey Green Grow fam, this is Stephanie Rodriguez, editor and producer of the Regenerate Revolution Life Soil Success podcast. We hope you enjoy this episode. This is Mark, welcome to the Regenerate Revolution podcast. We talk about life, soil and success. Today, my guest is Luna Whitcomb. She is an accomplished writer and a advocate in the commercial cannabis space regarding probiotics and organic living soils. So thank you. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. I've heard a lot about you and we've crossed paths, I feel like, a few times our last few years. Um, I've seen some of your your writings in Skunk Magazine and it seems like our interests tend to dovetail because we both are kind of probiotic soil junkie nerds. So, um, <laughs> So I think a lot of our audience, especially who follow Green Grow, are looking for more in-depth information about What is going on in the commercial cannabis space right now? And why do we believe that it could be improved upon a lot just by using and going back to traditional like probiotic regenerative farming techniques? So, I mean, I wanted to at least open up our discussion today with like, what is regenerative and probiotic techniques that you think are missing in the cannabis space right now?
1: Well, currently, you know, we see a lot of crop steering where people are just kind of pumping their plants in like a, an inert media with with salt-based nutrients, really maximizing their PPM, their EC, just to get maximum yields using a pretty narrow diversity of nutrient profiles. Um, while they have the main, you know, NPK, calcium, magnesium, and so on, um, living soil provides such a wider diversity of those nutrients, of those yep. compounds as well as like organic acids and enzymes. Um, and each one of these little chains and building blocks are needed to create a wider diversity of uh, genetic expression, like volatile organic compounds, you know, our thiols, our phenols, our esters, um, a wider terpene profile, resulting in, in you know, uh, higher quality medicine with like really uh, broad and, and a depth of aroma that you just can't mimic otherwise. Um, that provides, you know, that entourage effect, that therapeutic effect yeah. Um, yeah. that you can't mimic.
0: And I, I want to touch on what you said. You know, one thing to really pull out of what you said was the terpenes, right? Because mm-hmm. this is a really hot topic amongst all the Grower Connect meetings that we've been to. And when you're at MJ BizCon and all these places, a lot of the topic discussion is, yeah, we got our production... Dialed and we have this much yield dialed, but our terpenes are lacking, or Mm -hmm. we have 1.8% terpene expressions in our tests, and we have our competitors hitting three, three and a half, four. What are they doing differently? So, for me, and I'll have you expand upon this. Terpenes to me, and this is what I give lectures on all the time, is terpenes are an expression of a language. It's a biochemical signaling language between the plant and its outside world, right? Mm -hmm. And each plant has its own. Genetic minimum and genetic maximum of terpenes it can put out. So in my humble opinion, a genetic minimum for modern day cannabis is between probably 1.2 and 1.8. And that's where it's just like, it doesn't want to put out more than that because it has no one to talk to. Right. And so we, we talk about all the time that the more uh, each terpene almost can communicate differently with different types of macro and microbiotics. So when you have a deeper, I guess, or, or an expanded amount of microbes in the soil and on the canopy and surrounding the plant, you're going to get, um, you're going to maximize that terpene expression to the genetic potential of the plant. So I wanted to know if you could expand upon that a little bit in terms of what are you seeing out there? How how are you seeing your friends, clients, colleagues improving their terpenes? Well, like you said,
1: you know, this is the way that plants communicate with each other. And if you were to look at, you know, the the, the language of the planet, you know, the the largest spoken language between living organisms on planet Earth is between terpenes. Yeah. Um, microbes they communicate with terpenes, plants they communicate with terpenes, and they communicate with each other for like plant defense responses and so on. So a big one is using companion plants and living mulch, um, which you know have root exudates that communicate to microbes, encourage diversity, um, and also the plants will communicate to each other you can get creative and have different flowers, different different nitrogen fixing or phosphorus solubilizing uh, companion plants that encourage the diversity of these compounds.
0: Yep. And and you know, for the listeners, you know, phosphorus solubilizing is obviously in a really crucial and important part to not over-fertilizing, right? And we always talk about this, mm-hmm. you know, people over-fertilize and they just throw so much fertilizer at a plant. But if you're letting the microbes do their jobs, you're feeding the soil, the, and the soil's feeding the plant. It's not going to be the other way around. We're not directly trying to feed the plant. We're trying to feed the soil. So phosphorus solubilization is incredible. And if people are wanting to research one in particular, I always recommend Pseudomonas putida because that microbe is a very strong phosphorus solubilizer and very diverse for different types of agriculture.
1: Mm-hmm. And Rota Pseudomonas putida is also an endophytic, you know, photosynthetic microbe um, that will. Exist inside the cell of the plant and produce vital hormones at the cellular level directly where they're needed, instead of being created in the soil and then transported to where they need to be.
0: That's incredible information for for our listeners, and I think they should take note. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And um, you know, to to kind of expand upon that, what you were saying, I really liked what you were saying about you know we're, we're talking about companion planting. Plus, we're talking about mulches and different types of compost that are going to be in and around the plant zone that are have a depth of variety of microbes, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, root exudates, you know, so,
1: you know, specific species of biology, they're fed by specific profiles of root exudates, you know, the enzymes, carbohydrates, amino acids, and all these different species of plants will have you know, better or worse ability to to interact with certain species of microbes. So having these, this diversity of companion plants, living mulches, um, and so on, will help encourage that diversity in, at the soil level, which will allow for, you know, quicker solubilization and quicker cycling of particular nutrients like the nitrogen cycle, the phosphorus cycle, and so on. And then this this process of converting, you know, elements from one form to another know allows for a huge diversity of, you know compounds inside the soil. And within the plant, you know, to synthesize, to biosynthesize particular compounds, you know, like our huge array of of aroma compounds, you need every particular link in the chain to be existent. And if you're missing it, the end result isn't there. And that's what we're seeing when people don't have that large expression, that large genetic expression is that the, not all of the minute compounds are there for it to mm-hmm. build together those compounds.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it, we're, we're seeing a lot of the commercial canvas market putting out stuff that looks kind of sparkly, but mm-hmm. they're not noticing some of the major things that are missing. And one of the things that I notice all the time is obviously the aroma and the taste aren't there for sure. The terpene mm-hmm. profile is not there, but either, even more than that, the shelf life of it is dramatically shortened. Where you may you might have a sixty to ninety day shelf life for that commercially grown cannabis versus someone who's producing really good regenerative cannabis is going to be six months, nine months, even longer if you nitrogen. One oh,
1: hundred percent, and that's a huge issue. Is that these people they they have these huge yields and then they put them on the shelf and then they're no longer viable. So what it was having you know three to four pounds of light when you can't even uh, you know bring that to market after a certain period of time?
0: Yep. I've been kind of, since I'm in a lot of times, Napa, Sonoma, wine country, I've seen the evolution of the wine industry from going to, from mom and pops to going to heavy commercial, commercialization, Mm -hmm. chemical spray, everything to now, finally, the last 10 years, it's been back to more biodynamic and regenerative wineries that are putting out just tremendous quality. And it's a low it's a low volume but i mean the bottles are higher quality by leaps and bounds and i see that i really see that happening to cannabis too because you're going to see the varietals that are higher end being produced with really high quality techniques outshining and outstripping just the commercial stuff that you're going to see at the 7-eleven probably
1: right you know it's it's about competition right and for so long competition has been based on THC numbers THC percentages and yield and people are finding that as you know the the market evolves as people's palates evolve and are going after terpenes more it's pushing people back into regenerative organic um, high quality small batch smaller batch cannabis that people can really distinguish from the rest making a unique product that sets itself aside instead of an approach that's very very cookie cutter, very standardized that all these people are doing. Um, And how are you going to compete with a company that has successfully implemented this cookie cutter strategy, pumping out all these huge numbers? The only way you can compete with them is with quality, something, a unique product that sets itself aside that isn't on the market anywhere else, you know, with your own unique soil composition, with your own unique growing strategies um, and regenerative and organic probiotic Cultivation uh, practices—they give you an opportunity, a wide array of implementing different approaches to have a unique quality product. You know, through fermentation of different inputs or through different soil compositions and all the different amendments that are that are um, available, um, organic amendments like uh, like what you provide.
0: Is dedicated to all the green thumbs, new bloomers, and seasoned growers, the caretakers, the soulscapers, the life bringers. Your connection to the land is why Green Grow is dedicated to you. What you're planting matters, and so should your soil. So at Green Grow, we strive to be the most innovative organic soil amendment company in the world. All natural, probiotic enhanced, high quality microbes to help your soil flourish. So, whatever you grow, however you grow, Green Grow and breathe life into your soil. Absolutely. I mean, we see the next 10 years of cannabis probably bifurcating the same way that we saw the wine industry where people are going to get out there they're going to push a bunch of crap in the market people's palates are going to get sick of it and be like what happened to the stuff that we're used to i mean southern oregon and northern california were probably championed around the world as having the best organic cannabis that existed and now that that's all gone away in the last 18 to 24 months it's gonna circle back because people are sick of the poor quality. They don't care if the price is right, if the quality is bad. Just like, I mean, it goes back to anything, any quality thing that you wanna eat or put in your body. I mean, you'd rather, you could buy McDonald's for a few dollars for a hamburger, but you know, it's like you're putting things in your body that are not exactly ideal. So I think the same thing is true with cannabis. And where I'm kind of going with that too, is that if we're looking to be health conscious with the cannabis market, I don't think that ingesting chemicals is the way to go. And I'm sure you've probably just like I have, there was this whole cancer and cannabis push for a long time where, you know, cannabis is medicine for cancer and vice versa. I don't think we can say that anymore because of there's more chemicals in the current cannabis that's being produced in the store shelves than, and and they're cancer causing according to the state of California, you know? So, how do we should probably have a whole different category of medicine or medicinal cannabis that I think in the country? And then that should be totally separate from commercial cannabis.
1: Definitely. It would be nice if the market could accommodate for regenerative agriculture growers of cannabis. Um, unfortunately, you know, I feel like there has been such a demand for a particular look, um, which is sometimes not what you get when you're growing regeneratively, right? Um, people want this hard, dense yeah. bud that's really, really sparkly. When that doesn't really, you know, uh, translate to quality, um, it has bag appeal. But like you said, there's no aroma. You know, there's no, yeah. there's no flavor. And that's where like the the medicinal aspects, the therapeutic aspects, really come in. Is you know that entourage effect of all these different compounds working within the nervous system.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, let's so let's talk to the people about. Okay, so the techniques that at least you and I seem to both employ, let's talk about that a little bit more. So if somebody wants to grow in their backyard or in at their home, let's talk about some regenerative techniques that's simple for them to deploy, right? So okay. let's start with living soil.
1: Okay. So living soil, um, it's a diverse ecosystem within the soil between bacteria, protozoa, nematodes, microarthropods, worms, insects in general, um, an alliance with other companion plants, but it's also a complex chemical, like a perpetual chemical reaction. So we're working with nature, we're working with biology, but we're also anticipating and planning for the chemical reactions you know, uh, that are catalyzed by the biology um, and the amino acids, enzymes, and carbohydrates that they secrete. So it's important to To balance your soil, Uh, there's a concept um, that William Albrecht uh, Mm -hmm. developed, you know, in the early 1900s after the Dust Bowl um, called soil mineral balancing theory, where, you know, you may have heard of it or you may have heard people talking about balancing um, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, and so on in particular ratios to maximize um, bonding and appropriate ratios to make them usable and readily available to the plant. So living soil is an implementation of that as well as implementation of biology um, and and nature. It's like making an alliance with nature. Um, and you know, chemistry is also a part of nature. So so yeah. living soil to me is, is um having quality inoculants, which are your mm-hmm. composts, your earthworm castings, your insect frosts, as well as having appropriately balanced. Nutrient inputs, nutrient amendments like kelp, fishbone meal, um, Langbenite, and so on. Um, And, you know, being calculated appropriately. And sometimes those calculations can be really difficult and it can be invaluable to have um, someone do those calculations for you, which is where I can step in with like consulting, but also, you know, companies like yourself provide Mm -hmm. um, products that have those balances already done, those calculations already done. Mm -hmm. So, that's my take on living soil. It's it's an alliance with nature. It's using using the the processes that we see around us and mimicking them in our grow space in our soil.
0: Yeah, I mean, I couldn't say it any better than that. I mean, it sounds you know you and I speak very similarly, especially about really? like the topic. I mean, it's exactly the way I I, I teach my. Growers and the way I teach people that follow green grows that you know we're mimicking nature and we're not always doing it perfect right, but mm-hmm. we have to look at our surrounding environment. And so I always challenge people that are trying to become a probiotic farmer. Let's go out into the forest. Let's also go out into our native grasslands and just observe. How is it that the grass is growing taller than any grass you've ever grown by itself without inputs, without human interaction? The same thing with trees. You know, and so if we look at that, okay, what is happening in the situation where they don't need fertilizer, they don't need inputs, they don't even need water from us, what is helping bridge that gap? And so we talk about obviously mycorrhizal fungi. Yeah, yeah, that's a huge one. Both endo and ecto and, you know, the balance between mycorrhizal fungi in the soil and then there's trichoderma and then there's like bacillus and hundreds of other ones, right? But Mm -hmm. we look at like, If we can get close to selling products or helping you build your own products that are going to mimic nature, you're going to have what I consider a 20-year garden in a few years, right? Something that would take 20 years to build over time. Mm -hmm. We can help you get there a lot faster just by giving you the microbes, giving you the things that microbes want to feed on, the houses the microbes want to live in, and then let nature take its course.
1: 100%. And I'm glad you brought up mycorrhizae. Because um, you know, in those those forest systems, those nature systems, mycorrhizae is able to transport nutrients long distances. So we would have, you know, like an animal that had been consuming plant matter, um, you know, having bowel movements, transporting the nutrient contents from that small area to plants, you know, up to like a hundred yards away from it.
0: Yeah, it's incredible through
1: mycorrhizal networks. And when you implement these mycorrhizal networks in like a soil bed and like a living soil system, and you're adding nutrients on the top, it's pushing those nutrients it's transporting those nutrients to root systems down below also which is really 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 amazing Mycor- yep. yeah
0: and in mycorrhizae again going back to our earlier conversation about terpenes quickly is that mycorrhizae acts in a way with the plant where especially endomycorrhizae it's going to put basically it's going to put a filament almost like a needle going into a vein of the root and it's going to actually have a biochemical conversation with the plant and the plant is going to tell it what it needs. You know, does it need phosphorus? Can you grab me more water? I need. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm lacking in these minerals. Can you help me? And that's where we're talking about mimicry of nature is getting the plant in tune with everything around it and getting them to communicate together effectively. And we're trying to take ourselves out of the equation as much as possible, rather than being, you know, dominating the plant as a farmer. We're letting the plant. Let tell us what the environment needs, and trying to give the plant that.
1: Absolutely, and the plant and the biology is better at communicating what it needs than than we are. Of course. Oftentimes, we we see a plant, we want to to think we know what it needs and give it to it, and can unintentionally disrupt the balance or disrupt the microbe interactions. And mycorrhizae is a huge part of facilitating that gap between what the plant needs and what the soil has.
0: Absolutely. I mean, and I've been trying to train people about this. There's 102 minerals, right? That are available for both our human bodies and and plant bodies. Mm -hmm. And almost no fertilizers are going to give you 102 minerals. So we can get as close as we want to it, right? With fertilizers, but there's other minerals locked in the soil. And those minerals are going to be unlocked by the mycorrhizae, Beneficial microbes and everything else, and mm-hmm. if the closer we get to those hundred and two minerals being in balance, the plants unleashed at that point, there's its genetic potential will be completely fulfilled.
1: It has all the building blocks that it needs. Yeah, and I'm glad that you you know mentioned the the similarities between human nutrition, animal nutrition, and plant nutrition, because there are so many different things that translate, um, including, you know, amino acids, how plants need amino acids. are so crucial to their growth processes. And humans, we need amino acids also. Amino acids are the foundation for all, all cellular growth, um, all protein synthesis, and as well as enzymes, um, which catalyze so many different processes in the soil as well as in human cells. And integrating amino acids, which I know a lot of your products do, you know, provides so much benefit and it's such a great form of nitrogen um, that doesn't you know, leach out as easily as um, the typical NO3 negative, you know, um, amino acids we have are NH4 positive. Um, mm-hmm. And that plays like a such a pivotal role. You know, when you give the plant everything it needs to build its cells from amino acids, you know, onward, you get a much more robust plant. You get a larger expression of the plant because you can't. You know properly build healthy cells without these amino acids
0: yeah and i'm a yeah i'm a huge proponent of that i think that that was one of the things that the last 30 years of agriculture have been missing is i mean amino acids and proteins right i mean these are things that we can get from diverse sources right i mean some people are getting them from animal bride products such as like feather meals and blood mm-hmm. meal and things like that but you can also get it from soy meal you can get it from seaweed protein you can get it from whey protein there's various diverse sources you can get it from and if as long as i remember correctly the plants will uptake nine different essential amino acids there's there's a a branch of nine that are primary Mm -hmm. and i think that most people once they just unlock that one that's like hitting the easy button for a gardener like once you just start deploying like soluble or semi-soluble like proteins and amino acids into your garden, you can actually finally now go on vacation and not worry about your plants dying because there's so much, it's just, it's like, you're almost, like I said, hitting the easy button, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, and also amino acids are crucia- crucial, crucial um, for the biology as well, because yep. while plants and animals need them um, bacteria is also, you know, cellular and it needs it to, to healthfully, and vigorously multiply. Um, so, have, having them in the soil is also a great benefit to your bacteria, your protozoa, um, and to your fungi.
0: Yeah. And we've we've seen, like, just with, we've been kind of toying with this whole synganic approach with these commercial farmers, right? Where they, you know, they're coming to us now going, hey, you know, we just can't seem to get the health of the plant right, or we can't seem to get the aroma right, or all this kind of stuff. And the first thing I give to them is an amino acid product. I say, look, let's just start here. Let's not throw away everything that you're doing. Let's just start here and let's get the amino acids and the probiotics going. Those two things. And if you have a product that combines both of them, it's even better for them, right? But I just noticed that the amino acids are so pivotal to almost changing the trajectory of these commercial facilities. It
1: seems to be the missing link, so to speak, in a lot of different ways.
0: Yeah, because if we can't get them to go organic or probiotic the whole way, at least we can get them going into a bridge product, right? And I'm pretty mm-hmm. big on bridge products where it's like, okay, you're going to go synthetic. But if we can bridge in an organic product, then the plant is at least getting some of that benefit. And it's providing, I guess, higher quality.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, And I know you use um, different forms of amino acids in your biochar, right?
0: Yeah, so we're we're using in, in the biochar, the terra preta style fermentation that we do, we're using um, a seaweed and um, a worm casting, and then we're using a soy meal, like an organic non-GMO soy meal. Mm-hmm. And so while we ferment it, it is releasing the amino acids and proteins. Um, it's also making available the microbes, the microbes are going crazy in it, and it's proliferating the microbes. And then once we're Once we get to a certain point, we're adding in a humic and fulvic, which I think are really powerful for nutrient management and mobilization. So to me, I think we're trying to hit, again, all of the markers of what mimicry of nature can do in one product. So then we can give it to somebody and it's almost like they're deploying an army of soldiers right when they get it. So it's like, okay, you have soil that's kind of dead, right, or lacking in organic matter, lacking in microbial life and maybe lacquering in minerals. And we're trying to deploy that all into one product where it's like, okay, take this one thing, let your soul come back to life. And then we can start consulting on what else we can do and what else we can help with.
1: Yeah, definitely. The the first step is always biology. Yeah. Right. See what the biology breaks down, see what the biology can do once you get it right. And then we can move into to solving whatever other problem there may be.
0: Yeah. And it kind of ties into this, you know, in the industry that we've been in for a long time, people tend to be wasteful and throw soil away. You know, they buy the soil that's, you know, had ecological impact. You know, it's being mined over here. There's wood humus being mined in Oregon and it's moving to California. And then there's peat moss coming from Canada and all this stuff's happening. Right. Cocoa core from India. And then they just take all that and then, you know, six months later, throw away. And yeah. we're like, well, no, let's not it's, do that.
1: But I think that it's because, I, you know, my my look, my outlook on that is that it, people are intimidated about reusing and rebalancing soil. Yeah. Um, and they can't seem to, to do it effectively. And when they try, it doesn't work out because they're not, they don't have the foundation of information um, surrounding how soil functions. They just need it to work. They just need it mm-hmm. to grow. Um, and so once they, they use their soil, and they try to use it again and it doesn't work, you know, it's just like, it's easier for them to just throw it out and get new stuff Mm -hmm. every time. Um, But it takes that understanding of, you know, balancing nutrients and also encouraging biology and nurturing nature, nurturing biology to to keep everything thriving. Living soil can last forever. You know, I have friends that have grown the same living soil for 20 years, and after a certain period of time, it's just water only. You know, their biology is thriving. Their, their, uh, fungal networks are established uh-huh. and their, their, their soil, since it was custom built, has such a high cation exchange capacity, has so many nutrients in it. And it's been balanced for such a long period of time. They just water it and it's the best product ever. You wouldn't believe oh, yeah. this product.
0: Oh yeah. It's, I mean, I've seen some of these true living beds and you could literally smell the product from 20 feet away, you know, mm-hmm. and it hits you in the nose and that's kind of when when I was studying, I was an archaeologist and before and cool. when I was studying you know um, Native American agriculture is my specialty. So when I was kind of studying awesome. um, what they were doing, I kind of really stumbled upon a lot of the groups in Peru and and the Amazon and that's where the Terra Preta soils came up where they're they're anthropocentric soils that were created over hundreds of years, maybe thousands of years and this soil to this day is the most fertile soil on the planet you could literally go and stick a plant into it just like you were saying with water only you could Mm -hmm. plant anything into the soil that these people created a thousand years ago and without almost any management at all it will grow and it'll grow such bounty that it's incredible and so that's what got me on my path to learning regenerative agriculture and you know permaculture and probiotics and stuff and Mm -hmm. that's kind of I think people by now know that I talk about this but I don't think people understand how much money you can save just by doing it the right way the first time.
1: Right yeah 100 percent you know it can be intimidating and it can be a larger investment initially but over time living soil practices are significantly cheaper. Yeah. Um, You're not throwing away your media you know if you're reusing your soil you don't have to throw away your media and replace it you don't have to keep buying bottled nutrients and and pumping them every single time that stuff gets really really expensive like if you can build a soil volume that takes a minimal amount of re your your cost of operations your overhead is significantly reduced and your quality goes up and your shelf life goes up that it's it just makes sense to grow living soil practices so I feel like, like we were talking about earlier, we're about to go full circle. We're about to see mm-hmm. a return to these, these organic and regenerative approaches.
0: I think just by touring the facilities that I've been touring the last year, it's a conversation that kind of needs to happen on a, on a grand scale with the biggest producers in the market where you know, we show them a case study. We're like, look, you have these rock wool cubes or blocks that you're using that are petroleum based that you're throwing away now Mm -hmm. what if we looked at what you threw away for five years you know and if we did living bed systems where you just pull a plant in pull a plant out boom 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 like that Mm -hmm. and that you set up your rooms like living bed systems and you could do it two stage or two story it's not like it's you know these things can hold weight yeah I i think that that would be in my in my viewpoint people think i'm crazy but i think if you did the right size and the right depth living systems and it has to be a bed system because you need that interconnectivity of the fungal networks and everything, right? Yep. But if we did that in a facility, you would save just after the first probably 18 months, you would save dramatically on the oh, cost. significant.
1: Significantly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I've made projections for companies, um, you know, wrote applications for companies in Lake Florida and stuff, um, and done comparisons between hydroponic and living soil practices, and it's significantly less, less than half what the cost is. And then over time, it just gets smaller and smaller and smaller because you don't have that huge overhead of nutrients and media that keeps piling on every single run.,
0: I would love for you to share that with me. I'd love to read that because that would that's exactly what we've been trying to kind of illustrate um in all of our travels is, you know, just let's just get back to sustainability. I mean, I'm not gonna mm-hmm. like, I'm not a guy that's gonna bang the hammer on, you know, like massively sustainable. I'm just saying in just our network and in our, industry let's try to not be so wasteful you know because the yeah. money's not there anymore to people to throw millions of dollars away it's like let's find cost-saving approaches that are also sustainable
1: 100 and you know the product just has to speak for itself too because yeah. people they they see they see yield right um and they see you know that's where like the competition is they see the thc numbers and the yield um when really like the best quality flower is you know probably above 20% THC, but you have higher terpenes, right? You know, the the plant only has enough space to produce particular um, compounds within it. You can't force a plant tissue to produce like tons of, 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 you know, these secondary metabolites, right? Mm -hmm. There's only enough space for it to hold. So if you want more terpenes, you want more, other aroma compounds that produce like therapeutic and you know effects Mm -hmm. and and feelings you're gonna have to take a hit on THC percentages it's just how it is um but there's so many people are focused on these numbers as what represents quality um and it's just not true like you know you look at everclear right like you can drink everclear and it's just it doesn't represent quality no
0: not at all no not at all (laughs) i I like what you're saying right there because to me i've been studying that for the last three years and i've kind of come to the same conclusion where i think you know between 18 to 22 percent thc if you have Mm -hmm. a huge expression of terpenes it's actually better um
1: i completely agree i completely agree And i mean who wants to who wants to i mean okay i'll just speak for myself right i don't want to smoke low terp high thc weed it doesn't feel good to me um when I smoke something with a little bit lower THC, but with like a full expression, like in your mouth and you can feel it in your sinuses and the, the flavors, they change over time from one thing to another. And as the, the, the joint gets smaller, you know, the, the, the flavors as it, as it develops in resin, you know, that's like an experience, right? It, it turns into like an experience of consuming instead of, instead of almost like taking a, just like a shot of just pure alcohol. Right. It's like, um, not to compare cannabis to alcohol, but you know, you understand and what we, I mean, we right? I
0: understand completely. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's just, you know, it, I, you could even go to the microbrewing market too. It's like, well, you have really robust, like fermented microbreweries, right? That are doing things almost like they were done 500 years ago. And mm-hmm. then you have the stuff you see on the store shelves that I don't mention names. It's like yellow water that tastes terrible. And, sure. you know, Breathe life into your soil with GreenGrow. Organic, sustainable, all-in-one soil additives for your gardening and farming needs with the highest quality, non-harmful ingredients. Locally sourced, GreenGrow promotes probiotic soil building that will nurture and help your soil flourish, maintaining a living soil system for your plants to thrive. Easy-to-use products for all stages of growing. You take pride in what you grow, and so do we. Grow only the best with GreenGrow Biologicals. Order online or find your nearest location where GreenGrow products are sold. And I, I, yeah, I think, I think where we're headed is we're going to start seeing some really big, you know, maybe third generation family cannabis producers coming Mm -hmm. out and getting famous probably through just social media because they're not going to have the advertising budget, but people are going to realize when you can do interstate commerce, I would rather pay for that stuff to ship to me from California, Oregon, you know, absolutely, and and spend, I'd rather spend twice the money on it right then than have my lungs suffer or have my body suffer you know right. i would rather and this is my opinion i would rather not have cannabis at all for anyone if it wasn't somewhat medicinal right and in, in some way or other, you know like mm-hmm. people shouldn't be smoking or ingesting stuff that's furthering cancer causing chemicals in their body so you
1: 100%. know that's that's where i can and it, you know the the alcohol industry is a is a great analogy, right? And a great way for us to kind of like see where things are going in the future. And like mm-hmm. you had mentioned, you know, we have these lower quality um, beers. Imagine trying to come out and produce another lower quality beer and mm-hmm. compete with these people who have been doing it and have you know the networks established and the the distribution established. No one's going to come out and produce a lower quality beer and compete with these people. How uh, are how are you, you going to do that? The ones That's that are incredible
0: are example for people, I know? think. You like how,
1: how are you going to compete with that the only way the only people who are competing are the ones who have a unique product right something that is distinguished from other ones and that's yeah. what we're going to see we're going to see that the smaller companies that come into the market are the ones that provide a unique experience a unique product that's flavorful and enjoyable and that's that's where i see cannabis going and i think that 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 the living soil, regenerative approaches, that's how we're going to get a quality product that's unique and distinguishable from these mass cultivation techniques that we're currently seeing.
0: Do you have any opinions on maybe like a cannabis terroir? Sure. Yeah, I talk about terroir all the time. Okay. Yeah, I I don't talk about it very much. And I mean, I probably should being from the wine country, but why don't you let our listeners know what is terroir and how do you think it can apply to the cannabis market?
1: So yeah, of course. Um, So terroir is like a topographically unique uh, plant expression. Um, It was originally used in like, you know, wine, um, by like wine sommeliers and such, um, to talk about the specific terroir of a region. Um, You know, they have them in in Europe, they have them in Napa Valley, they, you know, in California, all over the place. So these particular climates where it produces a terroir, a topographically unique expression of the grapevine that's ideal. And um this also is true for all plants, including cannabis and so th- these terroir terroir is influenced by you know different different um, external factors one is soil composition um, the other is the air quality and another is um, um, light spectrums so where on the planet you are um, the sun, has a a very specific light spectrum and that light spectrum influences the the expression of the cannabis plant of all plants and so when you combine specific soil compositions with uh you know specific air quality and and ratios and as well as um light spectrums you end up with a terroir which is a topographically unique expression of the plant and you see that with you know growing Outdoors growing in greenhouses, and that I think I'm glad that you brought that up that is going to be crucial to having a unique product in the cannabis market,
0: yeah, because we're not going to see that from indoor facilities that are pumping out product. We're going to see no. it from family farms <laughs> that have unique soil they have unique you know they're on the the right parallel, right for mm-hmm. the sun to go. and they also have different types of microbes in the air and I don't think people realize it there's so many different microbes in there from yeasts to different types of bacillus to everything else. And those things are all going to help with terroir. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, this is my pred- prediction in the next 10 years or less, we're going to have definitive regions. They're going to say, you cannot say your cannabis is from here unless it's from here. Right. So right. Mendocino, Humboldt, yep. the rogue river Valley, um, you know, there's probably a bunch of other ones, but you know, that that's where I would say, it has to go because branding is going to go that way. You're going to start seeing these companies brand on there, like Humboldt Grown, you know, oh, yeah. Southern Oregon Grown.
1: I mean, it's already legendary. You know that yeah. region is already legendary for cannabis, and I think you know that's probably the first established cannabis like Terroir region that you know pops into people's minds. Um, I I grew in Southern Oregon for a while. I in rope in the Rogue Valley, yeah, um, and my plants were huge. I had these huge mm-hmm. plants. It was, I loved growing there. Um, and, you know, now I'm in uh, central Oregon and the difference in, in how the plant expresses itself, even with the same genetics is completely different.
0: Completely. Yeah. Completely different. Yeah. I mean, there, I've seen one strain that particularly, I've seen people grow a lot into an Oregon, which was like a Jaeger strain uh-huh. that was really popular there about 10 years ago. You could not grow that strain in Mendocino County. It just would not work, you know, the same. It's too big, buzz, it all mold out. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's like, I, I see that being the future and I hope it gets there. And I hope that really people learn from this at least talk, you know, to sum everything up is that if mm-hmm. you go the path of least resistance, which is everyone's going to commercial cannabis, you're going to fail. Right. You have to be unique. You have to learn soil science, from a probiotics perspective, don't go to UC Davis or one of the universities to learn soil science because they've been bought and paid for by large groups like Monsanto for years. Their whole ag departments are taken over. So learn from people like us, go online, get Jeff Lowenfel's books. You know, I mean, these are all ways I think people should learn how to do probiotic gardening. And if mm-hmm. you're intimidated by it, obviously Green Grow has the products already done for you, but we're not the only company. So there's other companies that are doing amazing work out there. Good mycorrhizal products, good biochars, you know, fermentation products, Bokashi's, all that kind of stuff. And I would highly recommend any of our listeners to go do some of that research for yourself and then also get some of the products to try just so that you can have an understanding of what we're talking about because the flavor is so much different and dynamic. It's going to blow everyone's minds.
1: hundred percent. Couldn't agree more.
0: Is there any last parting words you want to give to our listeners before? Nurture
1: nature. Yeah. <laughs> Look around you. You know see how these systems are implemented you know by nature um and just kind of listen observe uh learn how to identify health in the soil health in plants um, and integrate them into your garden
0: perfect well thank you so much luna for being on the show today i want the listeners to know how to find you or how to find any of your content can you please tell them where to find you yeah for sure so I do a lot of,
1: the majority of my content is on Instagram. My handle is at LunaAllDay, which is L-U-N-A-L-L-D-A-Y. The A is shared. Um, I also do podcasts on Future Cannabis Project every Sunday at 420. Um, uh, I have a Patreon. I do consulting work. I also breed and sell seeds. Um, Just reach out to me and I can help you however I can.
0: Perfect. Well, no, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Um, We'll get this out to the public as soon as possible. And I would love to be on your podcast too. So if that's something that's open to you in the future, it would be good to finish our conversation and broaden it maybe even more. Yeah, great. Let's get it scheduled. Perfect. Well, thank you everyone for listening. This is Regenerative Revolution podcast where we talk about life, soil, and success. Hope you guys tune in and find us at The Green Grow. Thank you for listening to this week's episode on the Regenerate Revolution Life Solo Success podcast. Do not forget to leave us a five-star rating, review, like, comment, and share with your friends.